My favorite bumper sticker has always been, he who dies with the most toys is dead. I've always loved that. Is that not, boy, that's religiously significant. I, I kind of like, what do you get when you play New Age music backwards? Of course, you get New Age music. I, I always like that. Now I might have to change because I saw one the other day that said, if a man alone in the woods without a woman present speaks to no one, is he still wrong? <laughs> That's headed to the top. I didn't like that. I had to admit. It was pretty funny. So we'll, we'll move that to the top of my list for a while. Okay, where are we? We are in an extraordinarily difficult subject uh, in Scripture, Cain and Abel. And it's, it's just complex. And if I screw it up, which I'm capable of doing, do not assume that that is all there is to it. Go and research it. Find better minds than mine who can explain it to you better. I always worry that I don't get it through to you. That's my biggest concern, is that it somehow comes out in a way that doesn't make it into where I want it to be. Um, and Cain and Abel was one of those critical subjects. See, most Christians believe that it is an unfair story, that God is some way unfair, he's playing favorites, that this isn't right. We start right out in Scripture with this unfair story, and God is... Again, selecting someone, and you can see where you end up here eventually. If you have an unfair view of God, you end up with an unfair God who pre-selects some to be saved, pre-selects some to perish, don't you? Now, is that, by the way, the dominant view in theology? It is indeed. The dominant view in theology today is that some are pre-selected for salvation and some are pre-selected for condemnation. Now, how does that make you feel? You, if you feel like you're one of the pre-selected, you feel guilty, I hope. Because it's not fair, is it? That theology is dominant. I'll tell you why it's dominant. If you had anything to do with your salvation, then that makes you better than somebody else, and you would begin to you. I had a hand in my salvation. I am smarter than you. I was able to choose my salvation. You are not able to choose your salvation, therefore you're not as smart as I am. Is that, by the way, a very, power, a very strong view? Yes, it is. You walk into churches who will autograph them for a minimal fee. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. So as soon as you see now Adam knew Eve, his wife, you must go back and find out, find the corresponding verse in Genesis 3. Because there is one. And she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. There is a corresponding verse. I cannot beat that in enough. Cannot understand Cain and Abel until you recognize this incredible relationship between those two chapters in Genesis. So having said that, last week, I put up the seven themes of Genesis 3, didn't I? Theme number one was God's image. Theme number two is that man was alone and needed a supernaturally created bride. Not a barn bride, but supernaturally created bride. 
Uh, uh, theme three was there's two trees, there's temptation. Man was not deceived, but woman was deceived. Theme four, we had nakedness and we needed fig leaves. Theme five, we had curses and two seeds, seed of the woman, seed of the servant. Number six was something had to be killed and coverings had to be put on. So, and, and the wife was named Light. And the last theme, number seven, it was driven out, flaming sword and the cherub. Those are the seven themes of Genesis 3. Genesis 4, as we pointed out last week, pays attention to 4 through 7. Genesis 4 refers back to the fig leaves, the curses, the two seeds, the coverings, the wife named life, the driven out, flaming sword, cherub. Every verse, as you read, you ask, what theme is this verse referring to? Let's go back to number one. Now Adam knew Eve his wife. What theme in Genesis 3 is now Adam knew Eve his wife referring to? Obviously it is referring to the supernatural creation of the wife. So you have to read that and read this other one and say, am I missing anything? Because you probably are, if you're normal, like me. And she conceived and bore Cain. And then, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now, what, what theme is that referring to? She conceived and bore Cain. What theme in Genesis 3 is that referring to? The seeds. She thinks that's a seed. God promised her a seed. Here comes a seed. She thinks that's the seed. And then all of a sudden, now, then she bore again. This time his brother Abel. What is that referring to? What theme? The seed theme. Well, whose, whose seed is this? As we discussed last week. Okay. If you separate, however, if you separate Genesis 4 all by itself, a lot of theologians will separate Genesis 4 out. They will take it, well, they'll do the whole, do that to the whole Bible. They will take an entire scripture or an entire chapter and they will pull it out and evaluate it as if it stands alone. Does that ever happen in scripture? I think not. You start pulling scriptures or chapters out of the Bible and evaluating them as they stand alone, you're going to get yourself in deep trouble real quickly, theologically. I do not believe Genesis 4 can be pulled out and set aside by itself and evaluated that way. But if you do, then you look at the theme of Genesis 4. Cain and Abel. What is the theme of Genesis 4? What is Cain and Abel talking about? Cain and Abel is talking about that God must be worshipped. God must be worshipped. There must be some kind of worship for God, and it must include sacrifice. That is... That is the theme of Genesis 4, if I pull it out and let it stand on itself. God is to be worshipped through sacrifice at a specific time and a specific place. Because that's what that says. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore him, and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper, keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time... At a specific time, at the end of day, at a specific time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering to a specific place. 
At a specific time and a specific place, God is to be worshipped through sacrifice. That is the theme of Genesis 4. Now the questions start to come out. Now here comes all those questions. We know that it is to be worshipped. We know that we have a specific time. That would be, of course, when, wouldn't it? We have a specific place. That would, of course, be where, wouldn't it? So far we're claiming we're going right along, wouldn't we? Well, let's start out here with... We forgot. The theme is what? Yes, to be worshipped. Then, when does he get worshipped? Where does he get worshipped? What's missing? How? See, these three have already been answered, haven't they? If I, I, all I have to do is read the first 15 or 7, 8 verses of Genesis 4, and it tells me what's going on. God is to be worshipped. How is, or when is he supposed to be worshipped? At a specific time? Where is he supposed to be? At a specific place that you have not figured out yet, I don't know. When and where? It just mentions it, but it does tell you, by the way. Now we have to get to how. And of course, the last one would be why. Why are we worshipping God? Is this story about how to worship and sacrifice to God? Is it? Yes, it is. That is what it is about. God is to be worshipped. Where did that come from? Where did it come from? God makes a decision right here in Scripture that he's to be worshipped. When was the first time he was worshipped? Adam and Eve? Really? Adam worshipped? Did he sacrifice? No. He sacrificed, did he? This is new, isn't it? We have a sacrifice and a worship system. What was going on in the Garden of Eden? God would just come down at the end of the day in the cool of the night, right? He'd just walk. They'd play cards. There wasn't this ceremony, was there? The relationship was different, wasn't it? Think about where you're going to be in Revelation. The relationship will be different again, won't it? But now we have a ceremony going on here. This is a ceremonial celebration. This is a church service, isn't it? See, church services are always with There wasn't heaven, there will be no church services, as we know. It will be fun. Okay? It won't be ceremonial. It won't be this traditional church service, will it? And now, this is the first one. This is, if I have a church service, this is it. This is number one. Where did it come from? Who decided that we should do this? Read the text. Does it say anywhere in there who decided we should do this? It doesn't, does it? Does not say who decided that God needed a specific worship service at a specific time at a specific place. It does not say in there who made that decision. So guess for me. Who's out there to make that decision? Adam and Eve and God. That's your choices, isn't it? Okay, who made it? How many Adams? Raise your hand if you're Adam. Be aggressive because if you're wrong, it's no worse than the people that will be showing up here in a few minutes. <laughs> How many people thank God made this decision? 
Okay, God is God is winning. Okay? You see, it, it, it must be God. Because, one, it's extremely complex. Man does not think in complexities as much. Two, the other issue is, is that if God did not make it up, if it is man that has made this up, then almost anything would go, wouldn't it? God would be happy with anything. But as we're going to find out, there's some specific instructions here. There are instructions that only God would have thought of. If it were man's gratitude, if it were man who said out of spontaneity that I am just going to express my thanksgiving and my worship, it would follow that God would accept that if that were man's idea, wouldn't it? But you see, we have this accept, not accept. We have able taken, came not taken. So that means that somebody had given specific instructions, and those instructions were commands. They were not options. They had specific meanings. God must have said to do this. It only makes sense, you see, because you, now being a gifted theologian, will answer that question by going back to Genesis 3. If this is God saying what to do, when to do it, and where to do it, what do we call that in Scripture or theology? We call that revelation, don't we? God interfering, giving man instruction is revelation. I'm going to come out and say that this worship service was revelation by God. Now, in order to say that, it's got to bear up back in Genesis 3. So I go back to Genesis 3 and I ask myself, is there any revelation by God in Genesis 3 where God interferes and says something specific? What revelation is it that is in some way related to this worship service? That revelation is fig leaves. Adam and Eve put on fig leaves. And God intervened. He said, fig leaves is not going to I take the fig leaves off, throw the fig leaves on the ground, I go out and kill two lambs, and I cover you with their skins, and I cover you with their blood. That was a significant thing for God to do for Adam and Eve. That was revelation. That was the first gospel. You walk home tonight, go home to your children or parents who didn't make it here because you didn't know the and ask them, where is the first gospel preached in the Bible? The first gospel in the Bible, Bible is where God takes off the fig leaves and says they are not adequate only way we can cover sin. Here and here's the theological word for you. Atonement. Atonement comes from the Hebrew. Atonement means cover. The only way we can atone for sin, the only way we can cover sin is not with fig leaves. It is if I interfere, do it totally by myself, and there must be what? Death. Blood. Must be death. There is this amazing theme of death in Genesis 3 and 4. Amazing. What does God say when they first disobey? You will surely die. Death. You are dying now. Death. What happens? He kills two lambs to cover them. Death. Death everywhere. All of a sudden we have disobedience. Death. 
What do we have in Canaan then? We not only start out, we start out with killing lambs there, don't we? We got death again. Do not think for a minute that that death was taken lightly by these people. It is by us. We eat meat. We eat little lambs every day. Some of them. Most of the people come in with feet You can't even drive down the highway without seeing a dead cat in it. Some people resort to rejoice when they see that thing. I think that's justice. Dog people versus cat people. In order to be an elder here, you have to like pets. That's one of our rules. Anybody that doesn't like dogs can't be an elder. If you don't like dogs, you're not like me. That's kind of how we work it here. But the point is, is that death is in our world everywhere. We see death all the time. We don't even think about death. You don't even realize it when you go to the meat counter that that was a living organism that is laying there and cost fifteen dollars a pound. You don't pay attention to that. That's just something we do. Death is something easy for us. I take the position that there was no meat eating prior to the flood. I have lots of scripture to tell me that that's the case. Death was not, not as abundant as it is now. I mean, one of the great debates in our society is why do kids take semi-automatic rifles and kill their classmates? Well, all they see is death in our society, isn't it? That is, death is everywhere here. Death was not everywhere there. It was not. It was a special, significant, solemn, very sobering experience. When God took two of those lambs and killed them in order to cover Adam and Eve's sin, they knew those lambs. They knew those lambs were innocent. And they watched their loving Creator kill for the first time. That was an amazing thing for them. And I'm going to tell you that once a year, once a year, this death occurs again. That's the theme. One of the themes here. It's everywhere. It's interwoven. But, keep in mind, first gospel was the fig leaves. This must be fig leaves too. This has got to be a return of fig leaves. Fig leaves ride again. Fig leaves forever. There must be a relationship, right? This is the sequel. We have the first fig leaves, now we have the sequel to fig leaves. And that's what's going on here. The same story is occurring again, told in a different way, just in case you didn't get it. It's very important that you get this, huh? What is this? There must be an innocent substitute killed by me, alone by me, by myself, without you. There must be blood, there must be atonement, there must be innocence. There must be substitution. That's the gospel. Does it occur to you that that's the only thing that God wants you to know? It is. The only thing he wants you to know if you get this, everything's okay, isn't it? So what's he going to do? He's going to repeat it over and over and over and over again. How come he's going to keep doing that? It's very low opinion of your intelligence. Is that possible? Yes. I will, I will reach out and say the reason he keeps doing it is because he anticipates that you are, in fact, like teenagers. And you are perfectly stupid. So he has to pound it into your little tiny heads until you get it right. Also, at the same time, he does it in such a complex manner that it is impossible for you to evaluate this book and think that a man wrote it. I'm going to get to that, hopefully, today. Hopefully, I will get there, because there is an amazing typology 
of Cain. Cain is a type of Israel. I will give it away for you. He is a type of Israel. His life and Israel's life. If you look at the life of Cain and the nation of Israel, and you will see that they are identical. Theologians have found over 40 similarities in the life of Cain and the nation of Israel. And that's just the ones they found that they know about that are in Scripture. How could that happen? How could Moses, who we didn't even have a nation of Israel when this book was written, how could Moses have written 40 items in Cain's life that will fall right into place for the nation of Israel? How could he have done it? It's impossible. He could not have done it. No one believes he could have done it. So what do they say? They say, well, it was written after the nation of Israel. Well, now what do we got? We have the Dead Sea Scrolls, don't we? So that, that debate got settled real fast when those things came out in 1950. Now we know that Genesis predates the nation of Israel. So how in the world did those 40 things happen? That's what I want you to recognize. This gospel is put in so many ways, so many times, in such a way that it is so complex that it could not have been written by man, and it was not written by man. So every time you get in trouble and you begin to think that you're about to end it here, this is not working. Life is not necessarily a fun time. And that's one of the advantages of being 45 years old. I have now learned what Bill has known for 20 years. Life is not perfectly easy. But Cindy gave me something today. It says success is surviving failure. Okay? The longer you're in this game, the more you know it is not a picnic. So there's got to be something here. It's got to be a goal worth having. Well, he's giving you one. That's the point. Okay. Said all of that to say that. This. Big leaves too. What are we celebrating? We are having a celebration. Next week we are having a celebration. What is that celebration about? Hmm? Shedding of blood. Shedding of blood by who? Jesus Christ. On when? What day? We call it Easter. It's really the festival of first fruits, right? Jewish festival of first fruits. The resurrection of Christ is what we are going to celebrate next Sunday. His resurrection. Passover, of course, was the death of Christ. They are having a worship service just like that. Probably on Saturday, though. Or on Sunday. Or the morning after. What day are they celebrating? <clears throat> I'm going to give you your choices. You go back to Genesis 3. We have eating of the fruit day, don't we? We have naked confrontation day. Right? We have exile day. Picked out, picked out of the garden day. Right? And then we have covering day. There's your four days. We have a church service. Cain and Abel are at a church service. And they are celebrating, remembering, memorializing a day that occurred in Genesis 3. What day was it, oh theologians? Was it eating day where we ate the apple? Eating days? We're not celebrating eating day, are we? Doesn't seem likely. Are we celebrating naked confrontation day? Hiding day? We're not celebrating that. Are we celebrating exile day or kicked out day? Probably not. What day are we obviously celebrating? 
We are celebrating today, at this, at this Canaan table, we are celebrating today in which Adam and Eve had killed for them those two lambs and the blood and the covering and the fig leaves removed. We are celebrating fig leaf removal day, aren't we? That's what's going on, fig leaf removal day. First option. You can get that. You are on your way to understanding this story. Where are we celebrating today? We now know when. We now know what we're, we're celebrating. We're worshiping. We're sacrificing. We know when. It is probably one year, or it is the same day of the year, that Adam realized the first gospel was given. He realized that first gospel was given on that day. He realized it was substitution. He knew that Fig Leaf Removal Day was a very important day, and he had set up, by God's commandment, this memorial, this celebration, this worship service, and God had told him what to do. How long has it been going on? Last week I told you that I think it's been going on for 33 years. These are adult men, twin brothers, adult men. At least, I believe, 33 years old because I will get into the typology of Abel someday. Maybe. But in the next couple of years, I'll get into it. So, here we are. Where is it happening? It's happening as we talked about. All you got to do is see what Genesis 3 ends with. Read the verse, the last verse of Genesis 3, and it tells you where Genesis 4 is going to take place. Every time you have a question like that, now all you have to do is go backwards a little bit. I know this sometimes gets to be very tedious review, but it's only because last week some of you came up and went, oh, what did you say? And I go, oh, no. I didn't say very well much. Now, here we finally got here, didn't we? Yay for us. How are you to worship? That's the crux of this story, isn't it? How are you supposed to celebrate big leap recovery day? Removal day. That's the crux of the story. And Jesus weighs in on this, doesn't he? That's the neat thing about the New Testament, is that you can find out what Jesus himself had to say about it. And he weighs in, as we talked about last week in Matthew 23:35, where he identifies Abel as a type of holy, righteous prophet, whom the Pharisees killed. That's what he says about Abel. Did the Pharisees kill Abel? No, the Pharisees did not kill Abel. Pharisees did not exist before Abel was killed. But Christ still says, you have killed all the righteous prophets from Abel to Zechariah. You Pharisees have killed all the righteous prophets. And you Pharisees are also going to kill me. And if you read the context of 2335 of Matthew, you will also find out that that is verses about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. So Jesus says to them about Abel, he weighs in, he says, one, Abel was righteous. Two, Abel is just like me, whom you're about to kill. Three, Abel was like all the other guys you have killed. You are going to shed his blood, and when you do, the destruction of Jerusalem will come, and at Jesus' execution, they make this wonderful statement when they can choose between Barabbas and Jesus, they choose Barabbas, and they say, let the blood of Jesus be on our hands, just as he said they would do. Now, 
Who is he talking to when he says they killed Abel? He's talking to the Pharisees. But who killed him? Cain killed him. So therefore, the Pharisees must have a relationship to Cain. Cain must be a type of Pharisee. Jesus identifies Abel as a type of himself. And lets you know. In Hebrews 12.24 says the blood of Christ, this is honest to paraphrase because the music went too long, the blood of Christ speaks better than the blood of Abel. So Hebrews comes in and says, see, we have a relationship between the blood of Christ and the blood of Abel. Jesus says himself, the blood of Abel was shed by the Pharisees. So that means the religion of the Pharisees. See, we have two ways, don't we, to celebrate Big Leave Removal Day. We have God's way and everybody else's way. Who killed? Abel Cain did. Was he worshiping Big Leave Removal Day properly? No. He must have been worshiping Big Leave Removal Day the same way as who? The Pharisees are. The Pharisees did. You evaluate the Pharisees and you have now in front of you the theology of Cain. How did that happen? That's what Christ said, by the way. Not me. That's what Christ said. Remember, there is only two choices to worship God here. In the anniversary of the atonement of the killing of the Lamb, the substitutionary death, the blood, his own first gospel, only two ways. The right way, or the other way. Does that sound familiar to you? You know, Christianity is called by all the other doctrines, what? Exclusionary. There's only one way. How can Christ be the only way to God? How can he be the only door? How can anybody say, I am the way, the only way to God? How could anyone say that? Does Christ say that over and over again? He is exclusionary. He's leaving out all these wonderful religions, isn't he? Yes, he is. He goes all the way back to Big Leaf Removal Day. There's one way to do it, all the other ways are wrong. You do it my way, or it will not be accepted. Is he mad about it? Well, you gotta go on and read the story. See, up to here, everybody is the same. We've gone 33 years, in my opinion. Can't say that loud enough for the tape, in case somebody's reading it, but it's not just my opinion. There's some real good theologians, learned people whom I've read that say the same thing, and I agree with them. That's a better way of saying my opinion. I agree with some smart people. Of course, Matthew, you said smart. Thank you. Some of you are not as loud as others. <laughs> <laughs> we need to probably get together after the service. But, okay. Up to here, we have a change. We've got 33 years of, of worshiping big leaf removal day correctly, and now we have a change. Who changes? Who changes? Cain or Abel? Cain changes, we know that. Who else is here? Are they the only people alive? How it, Adam and Eve, for sure we know. And now I'm going to say to you, look, I, I got first down the road and tell you there's a lot more people here than you think. Because Cain worries about being killed, doesn't he? He says, everyone who will see me will kill me. 
Well, who are those people he's talking about? Well, he's 33 years old, and I did that convoluted math. How many would like me to go over that again? Okay. <laughs> One liar would like to go over six squared equals whatever. No, there are a lot of people here. I would say at least, at least 50 people. I will say to you that Abel had a family. He had a wife and children. And when he was killed, they wanted to know where he was. And Cain says, everyone will kill me. So there's people here. If there's 50 people here, how many celebrations do I have going on? I got 50 celebrations, don't I? I've got 50 celebrations. How many out of those 50 are doing it right? 49. I got one over here that's doing it wrong, don't I? According to the text. How is he wrong? We'll get into that in a minute. How come I don't talk about the other 49? How come all I'm talking about is Abel and Cain? I know I've got Adam and Eve. How come Adam and Eve aren't mentioned? Let's take away the other 49. Pull me out of, out of it for a minute. How come he doesn't say, now Adam brought and Eve brought and Abel brought and Cain brought? How come it only talks about Cain and Abel? The clue must be where? All of you rise up in one and say, Genesis 3. Must be Genesis 3. Must be there. Where? What theme of Genesis 3 are we discussing when we are talking about Cain and Abel? We are talking about the two seeds, aren't we? The reason that we have to discuss Cain and Abel and how they reacted on fig leaf removal day is because we are discussing the theme, the, the, the theme of the seeds of Genesis 3. Now, what is the theme of the seeds of Genesis 3 about? Boy, are we glad to see you. Except for one thing. <laughs> but please, be welcome. We've been waiting for you. Well, bring them in. We, we want them. You're really a guest of honor. Actually, come out and clear the front row. <laughs> uh, if he wasn't such a good shortstop. No. <laughs> Uh, do we have a special gift for these people? <laughs> I can't remember who's in charge. <laughs> just don't come next year, guys. You know, just, don't, just don't come. I'll be better at it next year. <laughs> okay. Now, we are talking about these seeds. And what are the seeds? What is up with the seeds? We have one seed that is the seed of the woman the Redeemer, that is the Messiah, who will fix this mess. We have the other seed, who is the seed of who? Satan, the serpent, who will try to do what? He will try to kill the first seed, but he will fail, won't he? The first seed, the seed of the woman, will in fact kill him. Will the seed of the serpent, though, have any impact? Yes, he will. He will bruise the heel of the, of the seed of the woman. I've talked them all into giving you a standing ovation, but they won't do it. <laughs> That's okay. Hey, I'll go on another 30 minutes just for you guys. What do you think? <laughs> well, stay around and visit afterwards for sure. Huh? Okay. 
We have these two seeds, and what's the theme of those two seeds? These two seeds will come in conflict with each other. One will hurt the other one pretty badly, but it won't be fatal. It's the heel. The other, however, will bruise the head. Go get a head bruise sometime. Anybody, doctor's not here today, but he'll tell you, you get a head bruise, what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. Head bruise is not a good plan. And that language is clearly obvious, that the seed of the woman will in fact kill the seed of the serpent. So here we have this seed theme, and that's all we're talking about. That's the only reason we bring up Abel and Cain here. That's why we don't mention the other 50 people. That's specifically why we don't mention Adam and Eve. They are separate. We want to focus on the theme of these two seeds. Now, how old are these guys by my theory? 33 years old. They're 33 years old. What do they know about the seed stuff? Think they've talked about that? Think Cain and Abel sat across from each other and said, Hey, which seed are you? You the good seed or the bad seed? Is that possible? Is that life? All you got to do is read Genesis 4 and see. And I have acquired a man from the Lord. That's what Eve says when Cain is born. So what does Eve think? She thinks Cain is the seed of the woman. So that means she thinks Abel is the seed of who? Seed of the serpent. So she believes, doesn't she, that Cain is going to do what to Abel? He's going to kill him. She believes. If she believes that Cain is the seed of the woman and that Abel is the seed of the serpent, then she must believe that Cain will kill Abel. I get them confused sometimes. If I did, go over the tape a few times. She must believe that. How's that for a dysfunctional family? Twin <laughs> brothers. That's trouble already, isn't it? Those of you who have twins in your family. But the firstborn is the seed, the redeemer that will save us, that will return us to the Garden of Eden. She didn't quite have the time figured out. She didn't know it was going to be 6,000 years. She tells him that prophecy. Two seeds, one kiss, one night. Oh, five. What a situation, isn't it? Was she right? One kid did go there. So it's the parents' fault again. Stand on that before the throne of God. It was my parents that made me this way. That's pretty much my defense. If you know my family, you know why. <laughs> no, never mind. <laughs> okay. Did, here's the big question, probably the most significant question in this whole story. Notice the kids leave. So now we can get to the fun part. We can have some fun once we get rid of them. As soon as he goes out the door, okay, now here's the big question. The big question in this story is, does Cain know? He knows the story. 
He knows that they're probably both seeds, or at least he believes he is. Was he right about that, by the way? Some would say he was right about that. He had them mixed up, though. Abel was the seed, but he really wasn't because we're talking about the Messiah. They're off by a few thousand years, aren't they? They get the story perfectly right, which is hard for me because I always have smart theologian positions on these patriarchs. But I'm, I'm going to have to go here that he didn't have it figured out. He knew that something was going to happen. They all knew that we had this seed coming. Satan surely knows. He's been trying to kill that seed for centuries, hasn't he? Did Cain know that the seed of the woman, the redeemer of mankind, would be sinless? Did he know that? Did he believe that? Is there any evidence in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve knew that the seed of the woman would be sinless? Did they understand that theology? Because you can see that if they did, then Cain believes he is the seed of the woman, then what does Cain believe? He's sinless. That would change his offering on fig leaf removal day, wouldn't it? It would. That's where I'm headed here. Does, is there any evidence in Genesis 3 that says that they knew the Redeemer would be sinless? That is a key question for you to get through this. I say there is. The Adam and Eve would be the teachers of this, wouldn't they? They would be the teachers of Cain and Abel and all the rest of their children. They would be the ones who were explaining to them what God had said to them. Would they have any information that the one who will redeem them would in fact be an innocent substitute. Do they have any information that tells them that the Redeemer would be an innocent substitute? Yes, they do, don't they? We're right back to Fig Leaves 1, aren't we? First Fig Leaf movie. That's what that first gospel is about. That the Redeemer would in fact be an innocent substitute and these lambs and their shed blood are some way a type of that. They know that and Adam knows that because what does he do? He names his wife what? Life. Everybody is dead. Anybody names his wife life. Why does he do that? Is he an idiot? No, he's not an idiot. He knows that through that woman will come life. How is that going to happen? He's not so sure about that, I don't think, but he did know. <coughs> I believe they knew. So now we're keeping score, aren't we? How do we identify the Redeemer of man? How do we identify the Messiah of the human race? How do we identify the Savior of the human race? How do we do that? You want to know who the Savior of the human race is? You can identify him because he has been proclaimed in the first gospel as a sinless substitute. So all you got to do is find a sinless substitute and you've got the Messiah. If anyone stands up in front of you and says, I am the Messiah, all you got to do is say, is he sinless? If he is, pay attention. Go through the great religions of the world. Buddhism, Taoism, Hinduism, Communism, blah, 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 blahism. How many of them had a sinless Messiah? The answer is none of them guys, you feel me? None. How about you guys? How about your Messiah? Did he proclaim himself to be sinless? He did. 
He did that because he had to do that, didn't he? He understood the first gospel, didn't he? He understood that the, that the Messiah, the Redeemer, the seed of the woman must be an innocent substitute. So he had to be sinless. In order to be sinless, he had to be God. That's why you have all this stuff. Couldn't have been man. Man is always sinful. Here we have Cain and Abel in this discussion. How many points did I say I was going to do today? But today's lottery on how many points I got through. All of those who think I'm over 40, raise your hand. We are on 21. Who was the least sinful of these two men? We're almost done. Who was the least sinful of these two men? Abel? See, now I got you judging, don't I? I got you in works theology now. You're judging. You're saying, who's the most sinful? Let's go back. Let's find another story of two brothers in Scripture. Let's take New Testament. Let's go prodigal son. I got two brothers. Younger brother, older brother, right? Same story, isn't it? Younger, uh, older brother, he is a pretty good guy. Hangs with dad. And that is, by the way, three types. That is the, the unsaved masses is the younger brother. God is the father. The older brother is the Pharisee. See, so I have the same relationship, by the way, as I have here. Which was the good brother in that story? The older brother was the good brother. The younger brother, he runs off with the money and blows it. He's the bad guy there. There's a relationship between that story and this story. If I tie all the pieces together, who is the older brother? Hey, who is the younger brother? Abel, who's the most sinful? Who's keeping score? Somebody's got to be keeping score on sin, huh? How good, and I brought this up last week, how good a job is Cain doing? I'll bet you he's doing an awfully good job. He wants to be the seed. I know that, true. Because Genesis 4-7. Genesis 4-7 does not read this. It reads this other way, and I will give it to you in the proper form now. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not have the excellency? Write that in your Bible. That is what it really says. What it says in the bulletin is, if you do well, will you not be accepted? No. Wrong. Hebrews very specific. Will you not have the excellency? What does the excellency mean? The excellency is the right to be the first seed. If you do well, will you not have the right to rule over your brother? Will you not be the firstborn? That's what that verse means. And there's your clue of what Cain is doing. Next week is Easter. I probably will not do anything. I will because of the resurrection day, not Big Leaf Removal Day. Do we have what day next week is Big Leaf Removal Day? Friday. Big Leaf Removal Day is on Friday. Resurrection Day is on Sunday. And we will do Resurrection Day. So on that note, because we have no 
to alert the kids to move to the soul. You can inquire and see them. They will never know. It's a good movie. Okay?